Just want to make sure I'm getting on track. I'm really bad at just uh, <laughs> ignoring direction. So. <laughs> Wait, but are you, you're the one setting direction, right? I don't know. Are you, uh, are you t- yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm really bad at just keeping up with where I'm supposed to be going. So, um, but hey, seriously, thanks for taking time to do this. Um, the last uh, couple months of my life, honestly, just probably more. I've been discovering that there's more and more people on a journey of uh, of wrestling and questioning and doubting. Um, they were in one spot in faith. And now they find themselves somewhere completely different or they were brought up in where we are right now is in where I'm at is the Bible Belt. I mean, we're like in the thick of the Bible Belt. And uh, so we just we're just steeped in a certain tradition. We're steeped in culture. Um, And so we have a big population of people who have grown up in the Christian faith or versions of the Christian faith. And they've just um, either thrown it away or they're more committed to Jesus and they're more committed to scriptures, but they're just not committed to what we've called church. And, and so now more than ever, um, I think there's tons of opportunities now just where we are to create space and create resources for those who are coming out of these things. You know, people who are starting to question for the first time or wrestle for the first time. And these things aren't new. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, faith transitions are, tough and they're new and they're hard to to work through sometimes for people so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to work through um, space and resources for people so um, I've kept up with you for a while now and I've just always found your voice really helpful and um, you know just giving a new perspective a new way forward because um, it seems like there's a there's it's an either or a lot of times with these faith transitions like I'm not going to be a part of what was and I'm definitely not there anymore. So the futures is kind of like, well, I'm just, I'm out, you know, like there's no, um, there's nothing else. So I'm trying to help people see that there's another way, um, that there's more ways than perhaps they were given. And, uh, just trying to create some conversations and resources around, around all that. So, um, but before we get into some of the things I sent you, um, just to get conversation going, um, I'd love for everybody just to hear from you about who you are, where you're from and all that. Yeah, um, thanks, man. I'm excited to be hanging with you today. Um, uh, I really enjoyed our last conversation. Um, so I'm Jason Miller. I live in South Bend, Indiana. I'm uh, kind of a Midwest mutt uh, from all around the Midwest. Uh, and I'm the pastor of a church called South Bend City Church. Uh, we we began uh, in 2016-2017, so we're kind of a new community. Um, before that, I spent a lot of years working in another church. Um, I really passionate about like both art and theology and um did my graduate work at Notre Dame which was a really great place to be exposed to some broader streams in Christian faith and so um having grown up in like very one very particular stream which was uh pretty conservative and um I don't even say that like in a negative way but that's where these churches were located you know where I grew up um on the kind of spectrum and uh at South and City Church we we're, we're trying really hard to create a community that can um, have a really deep sense of center around like Jesus and around the Jesus story, um, but to try to hold that in a way that is really open-handed and that kind of invites people from a lot of different places and um, and and then tries to avail itself of a bunch of different streams that all kind of help us find our way toward that center rather than just like one stream 
And so sometimes we, we jokingly refer to ourselves as liturgically promiscuous. And so that means that like, when it comes to how we practice and pray, we really want to like, you know, everything from like, like, um, one of our staff worship leaders is, uh, the son of a, uh, uh, I always get actually get his church confused that when he grew up and so I shouldn't say it cause I'll get it wrong. But, um, Zach, uh, Zach is a like powerhouse gospel black singer who helps us as a majority white community, like learn what worship is meant for our black brothers and sisters. And he brings it into our community. And then other days it feels kind of Anglican and high church. Uh, we also sometimes kind of jokingly call South City Church. Uh, it's like South City Church, a great place to lose your faith. Hmm. And um, we don't we don't mean that we're actually like rooting for you sure. to lose faith. However, knowing that a lot of people are going to go through seasons, or maybe not just seasons, but they're going to go through something that makes it feel like they've lost their faith. We really um, intend to be the kind of community where that doesn't alienate yeah. you from the church, uh, especially because there's so much loss of faith and evolution of faith in the Bible. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's really tragic and ironic to me that churches would be places where going on that journey alienates you from the community rather than drawing you deeper in. Hmm. And then we also mean uh, South and City Church is a great place to lose your faith because we do think that there are certain versions of faith that should be left behind. Hmm. Like if your faith is breaking the world rather than healing the world, you should leave it behind. Hmm. If your faith is better at excluding people than including people, if it hurts people more than it heals people, like there are versions of faith that should be left behind. So we do want to be a community that invites people to shed some of those layers and keep going, you know? Man, yes, absolutely love it. Um, I just want to say too. Uh, so you and me talked first a couple months ago. Um, I was experiencing a transition of life, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and I think the last five years I've been in my own uh, evolution of faith for a while. And um, you can kind of pinpoint, you know, the last couple years of your life or, or different moments of people's lives and and see how transitions start. And it seems to be the norm with what growing up should be, you know, of us take, I think it's Brian McLaren I was listening to recently about, um, he has the four stages of faith and you start with simplicity and you go to complexity and then complexity to perplexity and then perplexity to harmony. And he reads it as, or he uses it as like a rings in a tree. And so it's not mm-hmm. one's better than the other. It's just the stages that mm-hmm. you go through. And so it's, the natural stages of growth to go from simplicity to complexity and complexity to perplexity mm-hmm. and then perplexity to harmony. You get to the point where um, you're comfortable with questions. You got to go through the complexity. You got to go through it and get to the side of, um, I have all these questions and these doubts and these wrestlings and um, you, you're perplexed. But at the same time, you keep yeah. going to the extent that you're comfortable with the questions and you can actually integrate and incorporate the questions. And I think that's one of those things, um, especially in the area that I'm in, uh, it seems like faith is the one size that fits all. That's kind of like the, mm-hmm. here's the package, and you take the package, and it's just kind of done. And so even mm-hmm. for growth, uh, or even just coming into your own, or wrestling, or doubting, like that's always been off the table, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. even for you to have a church community where you're embracing a lot of those things, is mm-hmm. so foreign, especially here. Uh, yeah. You know? So it's yeah. like... Like for uh, even the concept of losing faith, like even for us to just to talk about that and not to make that like a, like, you know, some of the dialogue here is like where we joke about our kids growing up and going to college because they're going to lose their faith. It's like, yeah, let's yeah. just, yeah. let's incubate them. Let's hold them, keep them tight yeah. so they won't lose it. And you know, the moment you start doubting or wrestling, you know, that's the, um, 
that's something to be feared, you know? And, yeah, uh, yep, 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 that's when the warning signs go off. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, for my story, from other people's stories, what I've discovered is that doubt and wrestling is not the enemy of faith, it's not the opposite of faith, mm. it's, you know, it's the close friend of it, and we gotta yeah. have it, so. Um, in light of all these things, you know, we're talking about wrestling, doubting, um, the word is deconstruction, and, uh, which is a, it's a hot topic word, you know, so some people really hate it, some people think it's okay, um, one of my buddies, we were talking about deconstruction, and he said that he's not into deconstruction, he's into asking better questions, and, uh, which I think is a great way of talking about it, you know, we need better questions with better answers or better responses or whatever, so, um, but do you have any just straight thoughts on deconstruction, um, just real quick, you know, get us started? Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely like in vogue as a term, right? I think, um, first of all, I think it's on, on some level, uh, deconstruction is a word whose meaning has expanded in usage lately to include sort of like anything about leaving behind where you came from or thinking differently than you used to think. Yeah. And I, like it's helpful to maybe call out like, sometimes that's not deconstruction. Sometimes that's just a little bit of learning. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I think yeah. deconstruction in the, in the way that it was sort of like uh, came about as a term really described uh, a kind of wholesale loss of the foundations upon which you stand and uh, a sense of sort of the evaporation of meaning in that loss. And so I, I do go, I kind of, part of me is kind of like, Hey, like not every, you know, move that caused you to think something new was a deconstruction. Yeah. That's actually like a word that like describes a really pretty, uh, a pretty cataclysmic experience in a person's psyche. And so uh, like part of me is saying like, Hey, good news. You may not be going through deconstruction. You may just be thinking some new thoughts, you know? Yeah. Um, that being said, like, I think, um, uh, real radical deconstruction is, um, the kind of thing that faith journeys ought to welcome and faith communities ought to walk through. And the reason I think that is because I think the Bible, um, like goes through really profound, like really dramatic shifts in people's understanding of God and what God's calling them to. And I think, um, if we want to kind of like join the journey that's in scripture, uh, we shouldn't be surprised when that happens for us too. I also think, um, a part of what we're bumping into right now is, um, the, the version of Christian faith that's been really popular, like in the West or like in the U S, um, in the last couple hundred years has a real fragility to it. Hmm. And, um, it tried to set itself, set itself up as a sort of competing claim against, um, you know, sort of rationalism and science as ways of knowing things. And I think it really did itself a disservice because I don't think faith was meant to be a sort of competing means of knowledge for the same kinds of things that science and rationalism are trying to help us know. But when faith tried to do that, we ended up with a really brittle, fragile version of faith, Mm -hmm. which is why like the Bible then has to be like a perfect an errant book uh, because they wanted to compete with like the data from science rather than saying it's just a very different kind of book that was never trying to be those things because it's never it was never trying to do the kinds of things that science is good at doing it was trying to do other things and so i think maybe one reason we're bumping into it so much right now is because a lot of us inherited a fairly uh, brittle and kind of fragile structure of faith mm-hmm. and then i also think um we're just you know, until the internet came along, uh, and this is an argument that Phyllis Tickle makes in a book called The Great Emergence, but until the internet came along, like you could very easily live your entire life inside a very narrow lane of thought about faith in God. Mm. 
um, you know, even if your neighbors didn't think that way, you weren't going to their churches, you were only going to yours. And you weren't reading their books, you were only reading the books that your tribe taught you to read. But now, like, we're living in this era of, like, radical access and collision. And all the worldviews and all the perspectives and all the arguments are sort of swimming in the same water in a way that they weren't before. And so I, that's, I think, another reason why there's so much of this going on right now. And if people feel a little disoriented by that, I think it's fair to say, like, yeah, we're living at, like, a unique time in human history where um, there's there's some new factors contributing to um, how confusing it is to figure out what's true or what you believe. Yeah. Um, do you think that, do, would you say that deconstruction is a, uh, uh, do so we, you think we did it to ourselves? Like we have created a, yeah, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways, I think the version of Christian faith that has been really popularized, especially among like evangelicals. Um, I don't know, but like, I remember discovering, um, when I was doing like undergraduate biblical studies, I discovered this big book and it was like something like the encyclopedia of biblical difficulties or mm. something like that. And this apologist had gone through every sort of supposed problem in the Bible, mm. you know, like, Oh, was it, you know, God that hardens Pharaoh's heart or is it Satan mm-hmm. that hardens Pharaoh's heart? Right. Mm-hmm. Did Jesus um, flip the tables in the temple at the beginning of his ministry or the end of his ministry? Cause different gospels have different timelines. Like, you know, is Genesis one and Genesis two telling the same creation story or different ones. And they'd gone through mm-hmm. And they had like worked through all these like what you might call hermeneutical gymnastics. They had like done all these things to try to make it all fit together like so perfectly. And that's an exercise that as far as I know would have been foreign to believers in like the second century or the fifth century, the 12th century. Mm -hmm. I I don't think, and I've read sources from all those centuries. I don't see them feeling the need to do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It seems like a very modern thing that we feel the need to try to make faith that kind of thing. And I think trying to make faith that kind of thing um, has been a disservice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's helpful. Do you see, uh, would you separate between like a healthy, just to keep using the word, a healthy deconstruction and an unhealthy deconstruction in people? Y- yeah, um, that's nice, I think, a nice breakdown. Um, uh, to me, um, well, let me think out loud about that for a minute. Um yeah. First of all, I think I think some people need to be aware that like uh, some some people say that all theology is autobiography, and I think what they mean by that is mm-hmm. that our views of God and faith are shaped as much by our experiences as they are by a kind of pristine search for truth. And I think um, one thing that's really important to be aware of is like you know I know people who don't believe things that they used to believe, but it's not actually that they've been presented with any compelling argument for their new belief or against their old belief. It's just that the people who believe the things they used to believe, they don't like those people anymore. Mm. Or they've got they've got some hurt or some woundedness around their experiences around those people. Mm. And so the people who taught them to believe X or Y ended up being unsafe or manipulative or, or hurtful. And since you associate those beliefs with those experiences, you punt it on the beliefs just because of those experiences. And I, like, I'm not even saying that's a terrible thing to do. I think it's very understandable. I think we all do it. But I just think that's a, that's a different thing mm. than... Um, uh, a more self-aware search for truth. And so I think uh, one way it can get unhealthy is when your deconstruction is really you just channeling your pain and you're, you're not actually dealing with your pain. You're just letting your pain drive you away from the places that hurt you and the ideas that were associated with the places that hurt you. And I think, again, I'm not judging that. I just think um, we're not always aware that that's what's actually driving our feeling of alienation from those ideas. Yeah. So there's that. Um, I also think, um, 
it's not uncommon in these journeys to like you you kind of see the problems with the worldview that you came from and so you're kind of backing away from this worldview because you see that it's kind of incoherent or it doesn't line up with life experience so you back away from it but but you keep like focusing on what's wrong with this worldview over here and you never stop to look at where you are now and to evaluate the worldview you occupy today with the same kind of critical lens that you Mm -hmm. stare at this one with so you back yourself up into a new place and maybe don't even realize that it's, it would be helpful to turn a, a similar critical eye toward where you stand today. And that's where I just see a lot of like um, some of the kind of hyper rationalism, the kind of like um, um, attempt to reduce everything to like measurability and empirical data mm-hmm. and science. Um, that to me feels like, oh man, you, you saw some of the, the incoherence in some of these versions of faith, but you landed in a whole new place where you're putting a lot of faith in some things that can't actually bear the weight of the faith that you put on them. Yeah. So uh, that's another way that I think you can go wrong. I think when it goes right, deconstruction um, has a profound way of shattering our idols. Hmm. And often certain images of God can become idols, which is almost the definition of an idol is an image of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think deconstruction can be uh, a really profound way of grow- growing up Um and uh and like it can be really liberating um and i also think at its best it can put you in a position to be in much more generous relationship with other people because often when we deconstruct we a lot of our sort of like the lines that are drawn around groups that are ideological when we kind of break out of some of those uh boundary markers we might find it easier to be in like real relationship with our neighbors because if we find ourselves in a bit of a no man's land, we're no longer hopefully like evaluating other people on whether they live inside our boundary markers of thought. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's great. Um, I just want to back up for a second. <clears throat> um, so you said you grew up in like more of a conservative um, kind of stream. Uh, something I've been asking people to the last little bit of my life is I'm just learning people's uh, how it started for them or what was the thing that lured you to the edge or what kicked you off the ledge or however we want to say it, you know, yeah. and for different yeah. people, you know, you just name someone. It's like, I was hurt. I had a previous church experience and it, uh, those leaders hurt me. And so I started to wrestle with different thoughts or, um, some people read certain books and it started shifting their minds or, you know, whatever. If you can think back to your experience of you growing up and how you grew up, what do you think it was for you that helped, shift things or just if you can think back to just what started that journey for you yeah so i grew up in uh churches of christ and christian churches um restoration movement churches that's a movement um birthed in the 1800s uh the big deal there was like let's kind of restore let's try to get back to like the biblical church and kind of shed these layers of like history and, and and stuff so that was the heartbeat of the movement that founded these churches although they had all kinds of traditions and stuff um but we would have said, like in those churches, you know, we would have had a really strong commitment to like sola scriptura. Mm-hmm. The Bible is our only book and it's the only thing we need. And it shapes, you know, it, it teaches us everything we need to know about God and Christian life. So I, I remember like I'm probably 15 or 16 when I'm like hearing that. I'm like, and I'm kind of bookish by nature. So I was like, well, I'm going to, and I'm going to read the thing. And um, 
it's kind of a, the joke in deconstruction circles that often the best predictor that somebody's going to go through deconstruction is they actually try to read the Bible. Mm. Like not, not piecemeal, like not little sure. bits of it. Right. But like the whole thing cover to cover. And when you do that, you realize that, um, it's at least more complicated than you thought. And perhaps it doesn't even work the way that they told you it works. And you realize that, um, you've got something very different on your hands. So I think that started it for me. Um, you know, then you start, and once you look under the hood and you're like, wait, why do we think that Paul's letters should be treated as sacred text, you know, mm-hmm. um, or whatever it is, uh, especially when you get a little older and you realize that because of the way that people trust this book or their interpretation of this book, there's really, really consequential decisions that are being made in the real world built on top of a certain understanding of this book. And those decisions, they have, uh, really serious effects in the world. And so you kind of, you go back to that, like, well, man, if, if we're going to build these very consequential decisions, for example, like one kind of obvious one is like, um, if depending on how you think about sexuality, if you're going to tell somebody who's gay that they're going to hell or that, um, that that's fundamentally wrong with them, um, the suicide rate among, um, among LGBTQ people is, you know, exponentially higher than the suicide rate among mm-hmm. straight people. Uh, Homeless youth, something like 40% of them are mm-hmm. LGBTQ, even though LGBTQ population is probably somewhere between like 5 and 10% of the total population. So we got kids on the streets who have literally been kicked out of their home or had the crap kicked out of them by their parents yeah. when they came out. That's like real world consequences that gets traced back to an interpretation of this book. And so you're like, yeah. well, then I want to know what this thing is and why we're building these decisions on it. And I think when I kind of looked under the hood, it didn't work the way I was told it worked. Mm-hmm. And that really set me on a whole kind of sense of like, disorientation and deconstruction um yeah and then i I would say that kind of that kind of kicked it off and then um when i was in i went to a christian college and came in as a music major but felt a calling to change and go into ministry and become a ministry major and this was a really big deal for me because i had to like trade in scholarships and stuff because i was like a music kid and there was the day when i went in and filled out the paperwork to trade trade majors and I, I got professors in the music school, like taking me aside, like, Joe, you're making a mistake. You should mm-hmm. play music. So I felt the paperwork. And the next morning I wake up and my first thought, I've never had this thought in my life until that day. My first thought was, I don't think I believe in God. Mm-hmm. It was like the day after I'd like, you know, thrown my lot into this vocation in life. So from like 16 to like, that's like age 19, it got, you know, it intensified pretty quickly. And then I would say I spent the next, you know, several years, um, looking for handles and looking for a way forward and like very slowly found that through some dark nights of the soul hmm. and some mentors and some better education and um, exposing myself to other streams and I, I mean, I'm still on the journey but that's kind of the notes version yeah uh, going to grad school was that helpful and uh, to keep you down that journey it was um yeah, there's the other joke is that like seminaries where everybody goes to lose their faith. Yeah, uh, like you were kind of saying, right? That's um, right. Yeah. No, for for me it was phenomenal. So I, um, uh, I really liked Notre Dame because Notre Dame was an interesting kind of. You can find a lot of um, like seminaries and graduate schools in theology that they're really going to tell you what to think. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, especially like kind of evangelical or conservative schools, they're going to tell you what to think, right? Yeah. And they're going to tell you what the right answer is for your interpretations. But then you have the other option, which is a lot of sort of academically elite graduate mm-hmm. schools for theology, where I actually think a lot of the faculty don't 
have a sense of personal faith and they're actually not trying to build that in you. There, there, it really is a very sort of um, purely academic discipline. I remember a friend of mine was at IU studying the New Testament at Indiana University, you know, big public mainstream university. And I, I snuck into her class one day with her and it was a book, it was a class in the book of Acts or it was a New Testament class, but it was being taught at IU, you know, and I was, I'll never forget, like somebody raised their hand in the class and asked a question about something in the book of Acts. And they were like, you know, what, what does this mean for, for, for Christians today? And I'll never forget the professor just shrugged and said, hell if I know that's for them to figure out. Mm. It's like, that's a whole other kind of academic world of like treating all this stuff as like yeah. not a place of personal commitment or experience. Mm-hmm. But Notre Dame, I'm really grateful for because it was very diverse, but I would say to a person, my, my faculty members and my fellow students were um, genuinely in it for faith, but it was a version of faith or as many versions of faith that looked a lot different than the one that I came from. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm finishing up my degree right now, and uh, I'll graduate in December, and it's been really, really good. It's been really, really helpful, um, and the seminary I chose, chose I'm, I'm finishing up at Western, and I, I chose Western for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons is because I knew that it's less, it still has a bend, of course, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's less than some of the other options, you know, that yeah. I you know, had yeah. before me. And that's been one of the best things is that one of the main per- theology professors, Gary Brashears, with everything that he's taught, it's been, hey, here's the four perspectives on this, and here's the mm-hmm, five mm-hmm, perspectives mm-hmm. here, and mm-hmm. uh, then you got to pick one and write a paper on it, and uh, and th- that's been so helpful for me, because there's a lot of other mm-hmm. seminaries, you know, like, this is what you said, it's like, you know, we're just going to indoctrinate you in more of <laughs> okay. what you've already known, or... Uh, yeah. Not even tip out, you know, I had a, a buddy who's going into a different seminary, and uh, his professor just kind of name dropped um, the new perspective on Paul, and then just kind of kept going. And uh, yeah. I was like, man, let's like, you should have talked about that. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and seminary is one of those places that I discovered a lot more about the new perspective and read more mm-hmm. on it and wrote papers on it and did lecture, you know, engaged with lectures on it and classmates on it. And, um, no, whether your professor takes that side or not, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's just helpful to have that as a category just to know. And that's what's been hard for me the last couple of years of my life, too, is it's like it's not even that we have to accept every other theory that we have out in the world. It's just like it, we just got to know this. The, if you just want to zoom in on the scriptures for a second, the scriptures are a heck of a lot bigger than yeah. a lot of the times that we've sold to people, you know, so it's yeah, like that's right we talked about the last time we we chatted was even just on Genesis 1 just zoom in on Genesis 1 it's like this text is it's an ancient text for one but perspectives on it just like abound you know so it's like there's a there's a lot more than just a literal six seven day creation you know yeah yeah and uh just knowing that because that's that's a perspective I wasn't given I was given that there's one way to read it (laughs) and to be a Christian is you read it this way. That's right. And that's right. Uh, yeah. it's like you just step a little bit outside. And so like me going to Western, even it's just like, you gotta be careful because they're going to teach you other things. And it's like, no, it's like, those are the things I need to know. And we need to know. And a lot of my conversations with people are just like leaning in saying like, Hey, there's like I said at the beginning, like there's another way, like mm-hmm. there's more than one perspective here. Um, even just to do that to an ancient text, to assume 
I think it's a modern thing. I think we're trying to assume that the scriptures are going to speak in our language. Like, yes, it's that which can be popped out of a machine, you know, push the button and pull the lever and here's the answer to whatever. Mm-hmm. It's even a different view of truth that I think than the Jews would have had, you know, because it's like the rabbis talked about the scriptures have 70 faces. Yeah. It's like you can dance around the scriptures with 70 different interpretations and they're all right and acceptable. It's like, and we're mm-hmm. going to learn from them. And uh, it's the whole thing about the Jewish ideal, even just like debating and, and arguing over the scriptures. To come to the truth is to come to this conclusion of uh, your perspective, yeah. my perspective, what's it mean for you, what's it mean for me, and and um, and that's the truth of it. You know, So for us, it's like truth is that which is literal, historical, factual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for them, it's like that which reverberates in our bones and that which um, Mm -hmm. touches everywhere everybody everywhere all the time you know so it's like this is a different perspective Mm -hmm. than uh, than than what we have you know so I think that was a big influence for me is like starting with the scriptures um, and seminaries included and different ideas or books I've read too but it's like I think the Bible was something that was taken out from under me as in um Maybe I think it was an idolatry. I think the scriptures was the next member of the Trinity. You know, yeah. Maybe we just replaced yeah. the Spirit because the Spirit right. stopped. You know, like that's right. That's right. We yeah. affirm the Spirit up until a point, and even the to like your salvation. It's like the Spirit mm-hmm. sealed you for a, d- a day of redemption, and like maybe gave you some spiritual gifts, but like only mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. certain few of those, and then it's mm-hmm. over. And uh, mm-hmm. then it's like we uphold the the scriptures and I love the Bible more than I ever have now um, but we've just stuffed the Bible into these categories and I like inerrancy like you said it's like we use these words and these categories and these languages that the Bible is never meant to fit into and so that's why I look at people too and I'm like of course we're deconstructing because you were handed something that doesn't work like you were handed yeah. a version of the Bible or the Christian faith that uh that was never meant to, never meant to be handed to you, you know. Yeah. And, dude. Uh, so that's why I like to help people with just hey, there's like six perspectives here, and it's yeah, a lot yeah. bigger than this, and and it's okay to to even yeah. engage. Um, it's okay to engage with those things, and if you want to step a little bit more outside of your tradition, your perspective, like you can. <laughs> yeah, that's right, dude. If you can, well, and like when 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 pastors or faith leaders try to rescue people from the crucible of wrestling with different perspectives in the text. Like when pastors and faith leaders like think that their job is to like, let me give you the one right interpretation. Let me kind of rescue you from this ambivalence. What, what I feel like is ironic to me about that is like, what you're really saying is you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, because if, if like, if, if the Bible is our sacred text, um, but you think that what we need is, you know, just really clear dogma and doctrine. Well, the Bible doesn't give us that directly. You had to do a bunch of other work to get there. Yeah. And so by you, like, um, cause there's actually, I've heard a lot of people argue that like that pastorally it's unhelpful and even inappropriate to give people like multiple perspectives, like, mm. um, say the atonement or, mm. you know, sin or salvation. Be careful because, of the well, atonement, man. <laughs> you don't mess with the atonement. <laughs> well, and then the idea is like, well, you're just confusing people, you know, and like, that's not your, your job. And I'm like, yeah, but like, again, the Bible's pretty confusing. Read the thing cover to cover. Don't read a little verse here and there. Yeah. Read it cover to cover. And like, it's a complicated book. And I think if, if you actually believe that that's the book that God gave us and you don't 
try to force it to be something that it's not, but you let it be what it is, then apparently what God wanted us to have was a crucible, mm -hmm. a crucible of wrestling and discernment, you know, and um, uh, it's just kind of ironic to me that like people who make a lot of noise about trusting the Bible, mm -hmm. uh, but then seem to think that the way to teach people and the way to help people grow mm -hmm. is to rescue them from the Bible, mm -hmm. yeah. right? To rescue them from the uh, complexity and the ambivalence of the Bible. And like, I think that's, um, that's kind of telling to me. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's good. You made a comment earlier about how the Bible, I forget exactly how you said it, about the Bible itself like helps us um, through our journey of evolution of faith or um, mm -hmm. um, however you said it. Yeah. Could you talk about that yeah, a little yeah. bit more? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways to get at that, but I think what you can see um, happening in the Bible is, um, first of all, like, uh, one of my teachers said once, you know, the Bible is not a solo, it's a choir. I think that's really good. Mm. There's all these different voices pushing against one another in the Bible. And so I think like, if you if you don't try to, like, treat it as this one-dimensional static thing, but rather, like, the document itself is sort of, uh, it emerges from this kind of growing sense of consciousness, then it becomes a really good companion for your own evolution. So a couple of, like, basic examples. Um, you know, um, there's a part in the Bible where it seems very clear that God really wants sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Like you can't read like Leviticus or Deuteronomy and not think that sacrifice and, and the way that it's offered matters to God. But then the prophets come along and claim to speak on behalf of God, saying, I couldn't care less about your sacrifices mm -hmm. and your festivals. I want justice, right? Um, so that's another, you know, that's a that's a movement in the text, right? Or like the book of Proverbs very clearly sees the world um, as working on an operating system where there's a cause and effect relationship between virtue and blessing and sin and suffering so if you read the book of proverbs the assumption of that text is that if you live right you will like you will be cared for your life will be protected you will you know be prosperous and and if you live wrong if you live the life of the fool you will suffer all these consequences right so that's the operating system of the book of proverbs and the book of job comes along mm. and tells a story about the most righteous man suffering for no good reason essentially right like proverbs and job are arguing with one another yeah and you could argue that Proverbs is really developmentally appropriate because if you're raising kids, you probably want your kids to know that if you work hard, it'll go better for you, right? If you follow the rules, it'll go better for you, right? Because most of the time that's true. So it's really good to like developmentally grow up with that worldview. But then if, 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 if you don't have anything that can accompany you into the part of life where all of that gets blown apart, then you're really screwed, right? But Job is this text that I think is meant to accompany us into the part of life where that operating system breaks down and doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, those are a couple of examples, but I think when you move to the text, you discover that like, this is not a static, flat, one-dimensional book. It, and, and here when we speak of like scripture as being like God breathed, I think mm -hmm. you can still feel it breathing. Mm -hmm. It's still dynamic, you know, and it can kind of meet you in different ways in different moments. Um, on the days when you're ready to pray about the, the, the beauty of how God has ordered the world, there are Psalms aplenty to echo that, that sentiment, right? Hmm. But then on the days when um, it no longer seems that way, there are plenty of Psalms to accompany you there, right? And hmm. so you have, um, it, it becomes, I think, a companion for all this movement. Um, and then you get you know, to Paul, where I think Paul, the gospels point to it and then Paul works it out. The gospels point to the universality of God, which is why like in Luke four, Jesus is with his Jewish brothers and sisters and he reads the passage about um, the spirit of the Lord being upon him to preach good news, like the Jubilee is here, that 
this is all happening in him and they're all excited about it. And then they go from saying, amen, preacher, to kill the preacher because he's, when he's saying, like, I'm the location of the life of God in the world, they're happy because he's one of them. And then he senses their xenophobia and their boundary drawing. And so he says, but the only miracles I'm going to do are like the ones in the days of old where the prophets healed Gentiles. So he already like points to the transgressive way that God's kingdom is going to be this universal place of human belonging. But the gospels don't really get all the way there. Really, it's Paul. Like when, like Paul's letters were, I think, like a lot of Protestants think that Paul's big idea, his genius for the world was uh, salvation by faith through grace or by grace through faith. When I actually think like the, the genius of Paul is uh, in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female. Mm. Um, and man, if you think the world right now has figured that out, like mm. look around, right? Yeah. Like the, the homo sapien species in the year 2021, if we could like tap into whatever, whatever it was that Paul was doing, that created this sort of new way of belonging across lines and boundaries and identity groups. Like, so I'm just saying Paul's ahead of us. I think actually, I think Paul's way ahead of where homo yeah. sapiens are today. Yeah. So yeah, you got everything from primitive to enlightened all kind of in one arc there in the text. Is, yeah. is that get away? Yeah, asking? no, it's helpful. Even look at just the sacrificial stuff. Like you're talking about like Genesis 22 with Abraham, uh, the sacrifice the sacrificial system is assumed because it's like he just knows right. what to do right. right and uh you flash forward to romans 12 and paul's like it's the way you live that is your sacrifice now and yeah. it's like this massive yeah. like or even just uh like slavery you know it's like yeah. if it and this is a perspective i thought i think it's really helpful but it's like if you if we want to look at the scriptures as this perfect inerrant document that fell from heaven mm-hmm. the golden tablets you know Theoretically, like it should have condemned slavery, like straight up. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's like you got Paul, you know, in Philemon, just taking it a step. He takes it a tick forward, where mm-hmm. he's like, you know, this is how we're gonna treat a slave brother. Um, mm-hmm. We're actually gonna treat him like Christ and each other. You know, if slaves treat your masters this way, masters treat your mm-hmm. slaves this way. And like what he's doing is he's not. Um, he didn't, you know, condemn it. What he does, he takes it a step further, and mm-hmm. uh, which is a huge. I mean, that's that's the that's the beauty of it. Like that's the yeah. the relevance too. Is just like how our lives often work. Is it's not usually in these um, spectacular, sexy, big moments that we come to these mm-hmm. places. It's often in these one percent moves. You know, like in uh, uh, Acts ten with Peter, whenever he has the vision and. Um, with the sheet and the animals and then he goes to the Gentiles house and, and then he says, uh, and now I know that God shows no partiality, but men in every nation that fear him and do what is right are acceptable to him. And he's standing with a bunch of Gentiles, you know? And so it's like, he still doesn't, you know, completely take a massive step, but he takes a, I mean, it's a big step. Um, but it's just a 1% step, you know? And, uh, you go from, being the chosen people of God to this is actually, you know, from the very beginning, actually, we're supposed to be a conduit of blessing to everybody else. Yeah. 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 And, uh, so it's like that, I think that's such a, a necessary point with the scriptures that we just don't, um, uh, give people, you know, mm-hmm, and that's not, mm-hmm. uh, we just don't talk about, you know, those things too. But something I was going to ask you, um, when it comes to, uh, I even hate to use the phrase switching beliefs or you you were in one place and now you're mm-hmm. somewhere different. Um, we know that growth is not switching sides. So just because you mm-hmm. were a Republican and now you're a Democrat, 
Like, doesn't mean yeah. that you grew. <laughs> Just because you were mm-hmm. a Democrat, now you're a Republican, mm-hmm. or you were independent, now you chose a side, or, yeah. or you were um, a strict Presbyterian, and now you swung the pendulum, and now you're you're more of a charismatic, and you're more loose mm-hmm. on some things, or vice versa. Doesn't mean that you grew. Um, yeah. Or if you were, you know, that what use the word, like if you were a certain um, tradition, and then you became a progressive Christian, or whatever, it's like, yeah, just yeah. because you're using labels, just because you swung the pendulum doesn't mean you grew. Mm-hmm. But there is a massive step of like, okay, we're, mm-hmm. I'm growing up. Like I'm trying to, I don't think the same way as I used to think. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So what would you say, how do we talk about growth then in this yeah. way? It's not just switching sides. It's not even just using yeah. a different label now, but like it's okay to have different thoughts and to express those thoughts and all those things. But what is growth then? What would growth mean? Yeah, I, I would say most specifically, it's growth in your capacity for love. Hmm. Um, like plain and simple, growth in your capacity for love, um, for God, for others, and for yourself. Um, and like even more specifically, like capacity for the most challenging aspects of love, like love of enemy. Um, although a lot of us um, live at odds with ourselves, and so I think for a lot of people, the enemy that we most have learned to love is our own self. But um, yeah, right. And, you know, like I think I kind of hear you alluding to this too, but like, um, often what feels like evolution just engenders a really deep sense of self-righteousness. Mm. And, um, that seems so antithetical to any meaningful step of growth. Right. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, that's why I love that Jesus gives the litmus test, right. That like the entire law, like every, it was all about, um, love. And then, you know, just to make sure we're really clear on this, right. Like the guy comes along and says, well, who should I love? Right. And I think, you know, every group, every tribe, every ideological um, identity has certain kinds of people that are really good at loving and certain kinds of people they're not, you know. Um, when I'm with my progressive friends, you know, I'd, uh, friends who would like very consciously self-identify as progressive, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, sometimes they're great at this, but sometimes the contempt with which they speak of conservatives is um, really alarming, you know, Um and it's like, it doesn't feel like you've expanded. It just seems like you swapped out one set of prejudices for another. And uh, I think we all have to be really vigilant about that, right? Um, yeah. No, that's helpful. What would you say to a, um, what would you say to a community um, that, you know, knowing the things I've told you so far, mm-hmm. um, community that's in this area, we're steeped in tradition, steeped in um a certain way of looking at the Bible, a certain way of being the church, and um, not a lot of differences there. You know, like, yeah. where it's just kind of like a one stream kind of area. Um, stepping into a new way, you know, where you're talking about love and, and growth as a person of love, a person of agape. Um, what would you say for a community of humans trying to come together um, and trying to learn these things? You know, like, what does it mean to pioneer forward a new way um because we're trying to figure it out it's like what do you do you know because we have people that we look up to and like talking to you trying to learn more and um but at the same time it's like we're it's it's lonely you know it's lonely yeah and uh there's some people here and that you know you'll you'll find people and it's like we have a small community and there's there's people who know and we'll talk and um I do this bonfire, or we had a bonfire this last Tuesday. I do this thing on Tuesdays where we 
just get a crew of guys together and it's just a free space to talk about what you're reading and thinking and feeling and um it's been really really helpful it's it's been giving me more people i'm like okay we're not as yeah (laughs) not as alone you know it's like there's more people here and a lot of people just don't um know that there is space to to wrestle and to grow but do you have any encouragement or thoughts to like if you're speaking to the community um of people who have committed to like we're trying to grow, we're trying to learn, trying to be the trying to be followers of Jesus in this in a new way here. Mm-hmm. We're leaving something. We don't know what we're really going into. Um but yeah. we're just trying to be faithful. Uh what would you say to, you know, some of them? Yeah, a few things that come to mind. Um, first of all, um there can be like there can't there isn't always, but there can be um a real sense of uh, loss and trauma in that journey. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say like, uh, make sure you make room for that. Um, you might need to grieve some things, right? Um, frankly, you might, you might even grieve what it felt like to live inside that world that no longer works for you, that you grew out of, because there was probably a time in your life when that world really worked for you. And it probably was a really, not for everyone, but for some or for many, it might've been a really beautiful container for your encounter with God and for your life. And so I think to leave that behind and to not grieve, it might be unwise. That doesn't mean you have to force grief. If there's not a sense of loss, there isn't. But I think often we, we don't give enough attention to that sense of loss. And then it kind of travels with us in ways that are unspoken. And that isn't always great. So I would say like, if there's anything that needs grief, make sure you give yourself room for that. Um, I think, um, do whatever you can to be vigilant about not forming an identity based on like what you are not, you know, mm-hmm. um, don't form an identity based in protest or in what you rejected. Um, because you know, that's, that's what you might call dirty fuel. You can like fly a rocket on that fuel, but it will destroy the rocket too. And so I think, um, when your primary fuel is one of sort of reaction, rejection or protest, just be vigilant mm-hmm. about that. Um, I, by the way, like, like I never feel that with you when I'm talking to you. So I don't mean that's just in general like, okay. for anybody on these journeys. Like, I think that's something to be vigilant about. Um, I think it's really helpful to know, like, what you can put a stake in the ground on. Like, hmm. for me and, like, for our church community, like, it's it really is Jesus. Like, we're disciples of Jesus. And frankly, I, I, mean, I think you could be an atheist and be a disciple of Jesus. I don't think atheism is a true world. Like, I, I think there's problems with that worldview. I, yeah. I think Jesus clearly is not an atheist right but it doesn't mean that you can't like but i think to have a stake in the ground and say well then what are we going to center ourselves around or what are we Mm -hmm. forming a community around um i think that can be really helpful uh and then maybe um maybe another piece in terms of kind of reconciling yourself with earlier parts of your story and communities that you've been a part of i think um whatever work you can do to live with real compassion toward the world that you came from and the people who shaped that world for you um you might need to do some forgiveness work um, but, um, we're all better off when we can say thank you for the gifts that we receive from the places that we came from, hmm. even if we also took on some shrapnel in those spaces, yeah. because that's how, that's what it means to live reconciled to your whole story. Yeah. And so as, as you keep going forward, which is beautiful, as you keep growing, like be brave about it, embrace the loneliness of it because it's going to be seasons of that. Um, but as you keep going forward, just pay attention to when, the spirit might be nudging you into an act of reconciliation with those earlier chapters. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. Um, two more specifics with what would you yeah. say to uh, specific people? The 
community and now the um, what about someone who would say they're on the journey they're on they've been questioning been wrestling um, progressing through but they also look at it and just say this is just way too much like this is way too uh-huh. big there's too many things to read there's too many things to listen to yeah um, I can't talk about it's hard to talk about the Bible now because I just question everything and it's like yeah. you know there's there's no way to have a conversation anymore because I'm just out. It's like I don't even know what to think about church and yep. don't even want to do it anymore because I just question the entire thing. So what would you say to the person that just it's an overwhelming task yeah. and uh, they may have different responses to that, but just to the person who's yep. kind of given up on it? Yeah, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. I'm going to say two things that might seem Love contradictory. Uh, first of all, I'm going to say like um, like big old permission slip. Like it's it, like massive permission to just like drop it and just yeah like just like um you may not be able to make linear progress on this and no amount of like willpower or like commitment you know and like it might be the kind of thing where um you know the metaphor is you ever you ever like working on a problem in your head really really focused and direct and you just can't solve it and then like you get to the end of that part of the day when you can focus on it and so then you you know you leave your desk and you you go out with your kids or you you're having whatever you're in the shower thinking about other stuff but the back of your head's working on the problem and then somewhere like some of those subconscious processes that you weren't even aware of that's where the better work happened mm-hmm. and then something kind of rises back to the surface where it's like you find out that you were working on it even when you didn't know you were working on it mm-hmm. and sometimes we put so much pressure on trying to like solve these things that we, it becomes counterproductive mm-hmm. and so i'm not, like i've been the guy that's to tell people like hey if you just need to like be done with the bible for a while mm-hmm. if you need somebody to give you permission i give you permission if you need a pastor to like be like just don't open it for a year. Like I'm happy to give you that permission. If you, if you need to like develop community that doesn't require any kind of explicit conversation around faith, I like, I bless that. Mm-hmm. Like go to, go find community at your CrossFit gym or go find it like with your hobbies or whatever. I, I bless that. So that's one side of my mouth. The other side of like the other thing I would say is um, back to the world that we came from. I actually think a lot of us were taught that like knowing God and like figuring out faith, um, should be easier than a lot of the other things that we put our, our mind and our heart to. Mm-hmm. And I would just say like, if it's really God, then maybe it's worth wrestling and searching. Um, but also it is exhausting. Like, I don't know that we're really fully equipped for navigating the landscape that we live in today. Um, it is It is really confusing when you you know, you find out that there's Christians who are like quasi-Buddhist and that seems to work for them. And then you got like, you know, neo-reformed Calvinists and it seems to work for them. And like, um, and you're not like fluent in five ancient languages. Mm-hmm. So you got to trust somebody else when they tell you what the Greek means. But what do you do when somebody else says the Greek means something different? And how would you even know? Like, that's exhausting. Um, so you're not crazy if it's exhausting, but I would say like, ultimately in life like i don't is there anything more meaningful than knowing god Mm -hmm. if god is if if god is whatever we say god like whatever god is if god is then i can't imagine a more meaningful endeavor in life than do it like attempt to know god even if um even if it feels defeating on some days Mm -hmm. and so uh i would both say like massive permission to like lay it down for a while and like know yourself and find yourself apart from these conversations. And I would say like, um, 
maybe the fact that it's really tiring and really hard doesn't mean it's something to give up on. Yeah. No, it's yeah. really good. Um, and then <clears throat> one more specific, what would you say to the person who has completely just moved on, just thrown it all away because it's too much? Did they deconstructed everything to the extent that they yeah. have nothing left, moved on, and uh, maybe just to to both of those may get more specific, even just like the person who's deconstructed enough where they've, um, they're just left the church. They, they, they wouldn't classify themselves as a Christian anymore. Um, maybe they're still committed to Jesus and the scriptures, but they're just kind of done with this organized way. Um, or just the person who's just deconstructed everything. Um, and they just left it, left it all behind. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't think Jesus came to make Christians. I think Jesus came to make humans. Mm. So, I would say, like, if the edifice of Christianity feels like it's no longer a home for you, um, not only would I say, like, I think that could be not only okay, it could be the sign of something really beautiful happening in your life, but I would also say, I actually think you and Jesus are good company, so, Mm. for what it's worth, um, I would say, um, yeah, like, uh, I I I got people who, like, will tell me, will finally kind of, like, own, like, I think I'm just an atheist. I'm like, man, I'm happy for you because now you're at least admitting the truth. Yeah. Like, and I don't mean like in some confession of sin. I just mean like if that's where you are, that's where you are, right? And there's no nothing good comes from pretending to not be where you are. Um, that's talking out of both sides of my mouth. However, um, it's kind of funny. Like I've watched a lot of people kind of opt out of Christianity or church. And if, if they continue to try to have like, like a journey and if they have a hunger for some kind of like holistic spiritual journey, What'll end up happening over and over again is they'll like kind of opt out of Christianity or church. And then they'll begin, man, it's kind of lonely out here. I could really use some community, right? To seek out like some community, they start building community. And then they're like, man, we probably need like some, some shared communal practices so that we're not practicing alone. Hmm. You can see where this is going, right? And before hmm. you know it, like you, you built another church. Yeah. And like, and that, that's not bad. I'm just saying like, um, if we think that we could opt out of community and shared practice and shared storytelling, we might surprise ourselves when we discover how much those naturally emerge because I think our species needs community, shared practice, and shared story mm. to to kind of be our truest selves. And so you might leave the church only to end up creating one accidentally. Um, yeah. You know, you might just kind of like, who knows, you might be like throwing a bonfire in your backyard on Tuesday nights and just have some guys showing up and you may not intend for it to be like that thing, but you might be surprised to discover that there's something sort of innate about yeah. that. And like how beautiful, you know, to yeah. just kind of iterate on that. I like that. Um, do you have any resources that you <clears throat> most just read, you just always come back to with telling people like mm. on their journey of wrestling, deconstructing, questioning? Oh, uh, that's interesting. Um, I've been trying. I've been trying myself to separate between yeah. just books or podcasts or resources or, um, you know, told a buddy just go watch all the Bible Project stuff and then yeah, it'll reclaim yeah. the Bible in a lot of ways and then we can keep, yeah. keep going. But it's like yeah. different stuff like that. It's like I'm just trying to come up with more of a resource list too. Just like how do you, how do we help people along the journey? Yeah. Um, I do. I tend to be a big fan of like. Take your theological issue, and what I'm about to name can be a little bit academic, but like publishers have figured out that people are hungry for this stuff. So you can find like four views on the atonement, five views mm-hmm. on evolution and sin, like, and those can be really helpful. So just like literally pick your <laughs> issue and Google 
multiple views on and like look mm-hmm. for books. Those are really good out there. Um, a book that I love that's about Christian faith. Um, I've heard that it's Nadia Boltz Weber's favorite book. If people mm-hmm. resonate with Nadia Boltz Weber, mm-hmm. it's called Unapologetic by mm-hmm. a, a, a British author named Francis Spufford. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, he's, he's basically saying, I'm not going to argue with you over whether like the Bible is in there or not. I'm not going to argue with you, with you, um, like who's, who's right and who's wrong. I'm just going to tell you, I think the, the Jesus story, um, is it makes emotional sense, which is an interesting angle, but it just sort of like sidesteps some of these fights that we're having about, you know, like who's got all the data on their side. He's like, let me just try to like resketch the story for you. Um, am I allowed to swear on this video? Go for it. Okay. His definition of sin, this is his definition, is the human propensity to fuck things up. Mm. And he's kind of works that out. He's like, I don't care if you use the word sin or not, but like, you know, that's a good example of somebody saying like something in this story names a truth that's pretty hard to deny, right? Mm. Um, his chapter on Jesus, I find really compelling. Um, so if people are kind of exhausted over like biblical interpretation and, yeah. you know, how do I know I'm reading Paul, right? Um, mm. But but if you still want to like, he's, by the way, he's a brilliant author. He's, a, he's, a, he's like, he's not like a Christian writer. He's like a writer. He's like a beautiful author. So a uh, big fan of that book by Francis Bufford. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's kind of plainly known out there. Um, uh, I still listen to Rob Bell's podcast every week or whenever he puts it out. Yeah. And there's weeks when I'm not fully tracking with it, but there's weeks when um, he teaches the Bible in a way that I find like really profound and compelling. Uh, it's just called the Robcast that so people don't know it. Yeah. Have you listened to his uh Leviticus commentary that he does? Uh, I think I bought it or downloaded it. Didn't get through all of it, but yeah, his blood, 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 yeah, blood guts and fire, something fire. like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love anytime that he does uh, anything like that. I think it's just really, I think it's really, really helpful. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I have a million more questions and we could keep going um, another time, but uh yeah, just thanks for taking your time and doing this. Yeah, my um, pleasure, man. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I need to put more people in front of um, the people I know here, you know, and just say like, hey, we can yeah. keep going and we're not alone. And uh, yeah, that's right. I think that's yeah. maybe that's the biggest part with all this is, uh, I think that's what I say to people most often is like, you're not alone. Like we're, we're here with you and uh, we're wrestling and questioning and doubting and we're still following Jesus together and um, yeah. and it's okay. Um, it's okay wherever you are. So, yeah. Um, hey, I also want uh, to. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, man, I'm a huge fan of yours, Blake, and uh, I hope people know, like, um, Blake didn't pay me to say this, by the way, but like, <laughs> like, like you're giving people a really beautiful gift, man. And I know you've experienced your own um, alienation and loss around your own your own uh, growth, and I think um, for you to use that as a provocation to be generous toward others and to make room for others, rather than, you know, for some people that would turn them. Uh, inward, but for for you, it sure seems like it's turning you outward, uh, you know, toward making room for others, and um, that's like a really generous, and beautiful thing to do. Yeah. And I'm really glad that others have the chance to be in your orbit while you're doing that. And thanks for that. Yeah, that means a lot. Hey, tell everybody what you're doing on Tuesday nights at nine. Ask a pastor. Oh, sure. Yeah, man. It's, um, it's just kind of a thing to play around with. Um, I just keep discovering that people 
a lot of people who don't even have any faith identity actually do kind of want to like process some questions with the pastor. And it may not be that they think the pastor has the right answers, but there's just something about knowing that you're with somebody who's tried to work on these questions mm. um, and at least can share some perspective, even if you don't agree with it. And so, yeah, I've been doing Tuesday nights on Instagram. I just go live for about an hour. Like we usually pick like a topical area and the day before I'll usually put the topic out so people can ask their questions. And then we just kind of jam on it for about an hour every Tuesday night, not every Tuesday night, most Tuesday nights now, but I'll always um, give you like a heads up uh, like a day beforehand on my Instagram. So far we've talked about uh, prayer. We've talked about the Bible for a couple of weeks. We've talked about church hurt. Uh, and we've talked about like ethics and politics. Uh, last night we just kind of did some personal stuff, but it's been really fun. And if people want to tune in live, they can, or um, all the videos are posted so you can go back. And I've tried to make it really obvious on my Instagram feed. If you just mm -hmm. like pull up my profile, the title headings are really obvious if you want to see what we did. That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't been able to keep up live. Um, I've just yeah. watched them later, and uh, yeah. I just think they've been incredible. And, you know, we're talking, oh, we, wow. we hit Thanks some me. specifics, you know, during this time, but, like, you've hit some really specific things, too, um, on them. And uh, so I just think it's really helpful for people that are trying to, you know, for you, you talked about church hurt, you know, and it was really helpful and talked about the Bible a couple weeks. And um, so there's a lot of specific things in there, too. So if people are wanting to keep going, you know, there's a, yeah, yeah, right. A really helpful yeah. thing, and you know, if you keep doing it, someone can ask you a question and that's right. Yeah. Send you down yeah, another rabbit right. hole. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. Yeah. And uh, Instagram, Jason Adam Miller. Is that right? That's it. That's it. Nice. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Well, again, thanks so much. Um, yeah, my pleasure. I just man. know lots of people are gonna they're gonna love this and be helped by it. So, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I hope I get to uh, talk to you again soon. All right. Let's do it again. Yeah. All, All right, right bro. Thanks, man. Yeah.